Hello, and welcome to an episode of The Money Movement. I'm really excited to be here in Singapore, uh, here for the Singapore FinTech Festival and spending time with amazing people and very excited uh, for this episode to have a repeat guest, uh, Balaji, uh, someone who I've had a chance to get to know for many years. Welcome uh, to back to The Money Movement. Well, great to be here. Yeah, awesome. So. Um, there's always like so much we can talk about, um, and uh, which which makes it makes it really fun. Um, I think one place to start might just be, you know, given the kind of arc of where we are in the development of crypto, um, there's there's a lot of discussion about kind of what's it going to take for this to kind of go from kind of where it is today, which is still like in the kind of Jeffrey Moore context, an early adopter mm -hmm. kind of environment, right? Maybe there's a couple hundred million people or whatever it is to a billion or two billion people. And I sort of think about that through a lot of different lenses and I think we can kind of pull a few threads on that topic in the conversation. But, but as a technologist, um, both of us being technologists, um, you know, what do you think the kind of hardest technologies are right now and, and the problems that are being solved that are gonna solve for kind of scale adoption? Good question. Um, so, you know, crypto is, uh, first of all, it is useful to, I'm glad you said hundreds of millions of people, because in a sense it's early, but in a sense we've also made real progress, right? Huge, yeah. Huge. So from where, you know, the white paper came out and Bitcoin launched, you know, in 2009 to here, if you had said, okay, you're going to be a global phenomenon with, right, hundreds yeah. of millions of users right. in about 10 years with nation state recognition by right. multiple countries right. and, you know, sense of... Some of the biggest financial institutions. Yes. Mainstream, Main That's Street, right. et cetera, yeah. That's right. And, you know, multiple unicorns and blah, blah, blah. All, yeah. all the giant ecosystem that, that has been built, uh, you kind of need to book that as a win overall. Totally. Net, yeah. net, right? It's like, wow. That's yeah. wow. And, and you know, uh, like the analogies are sometimes overdone, but that I think it's roughly comparable to the early 2000s. Yeah, that's exactly right? where I think we are. Yeah. yeah, so you've got the, so we're past that initial dot-com bubble right. kind of phase, right? We have a kind of early infrastructure players similar to, yep. you know, the exchanges are sort of a combination of uh, the portals and the, uh, and, and the AOL types, like the kind of actually getting you online, like the, yep. I was going to say fiber, but sure. let's say. DSL. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, DSL, exactly, right? So DSL providers, early, you know, uh, providers at that time. And uh, now what we need is kind of the ecosystem to mature and the tooling to mature. People forget, you know, how long it took for the internet yeah. to actually mature. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like back in, in early 2000s, like the, like writing software for the web was not like that easy. really not great. Like yes. building a really a rich application, actually delivering any media of value, like really couldn't do it. That's it right. Posted stamp, blah blah blah. You know, That's that right. kind of thing. Yeah. It was like two thousand four before Ajax right. and yes. Gmail and Google Maps were extremely difficult things to do right. in the browser. And HTML was actually built off of like a book programming environment where yeah. you know to do two D, let alone three D layouts like VR yeah. with yeah. something that's initially built for laying out books was actually not. Remember, you can help blame me for Flash and like we, 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 we like <laughs> tried to solve it with a different client. Uh, yes, which which it's actually quite good. There's a break of stuff. Yeah. Well, no, so yeah. Macromedia. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. right, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean like. And Flash had had its had its heyday, but then sure. you know with iPad or whatever it was that a closed was like, system. Yeah, but it, but it was it was fine for a while. It was just it was just something yeah. where that was the best we could do during the two thousands. Yeah. So all IE. And the thing is that you know people forget. Um, I spoke to you know very senior exec in Microsoft, and they they were saying something which interesting, which is for them the internet was basically nothing other than Google as late as two thousand nine. Hmm. 
from their perspective, like, you know, Google was the only significant internet business right. as late as 2009, right. which is really not that long ago. Yeah. Right? And then what happened was after 2009, you had the iPhone and Google and fa- Google ad revenue and Facebook revenue all went vertical and Facebook adoption all went E-commerce vertical. E-commerce scaled much more. Everything. Yeah. That's right. And all this ad spend shifted from, you know, because of the financial crisis had to go into efficiency. Yeah. And internet was finally there to kind of capture that yeah. reign. So sort of a social catalyst as well as a technological catalyst yeah. for adoption, right? And, uh, you know, so I think... Um, a bunch of things. And then actually even Stripe was only around then. Yeah. Uber was only found around then. Airbnb was found around. A lot of things we think of as the modern internet environment is basically about 10 years old. Yeah. Right? So you needed a lot of it. You needed mobile broadband. You needed yes. like these very high quality client user experience environments. Yes. You, you needed, you know, that kind of wide distribution of those things, like before you could kind of turn on super high utility value for a lot of things. That's right. And you know, the experience we have today where there's an app for everything and so on, is really mid-2010s. Right. And, um, you know, really I'd say maybe 2020, you could say it was the first year that you had the digital flipping, and now right. it was kind of digital first, right? So, okay, so using that kind of build-out, the reason being because on an exponential, people tend to forget how long that, that yeah, took. It's a, it's, a long, it's a long curve, and then it feels like it's extremely fast. Exactly. Yeah. So here's my mental model on this, which is if you put, like, time on this axis, you know, in the 1990s, very f- only academics and so on were yep. spending any time on the internet. By the 2000s, maybe you and I spent a little bit of time on the internet. Maybe you more, maybe more than I. But like you know, I don't know. As only a small percentage of the world was spending a few hours a day, right? By the time you get to 2010, a much larger percentage of the world was spending more time. And then by the time you get to 2020 or 2022, right. we have. You didn't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. Three or four billion people who are spending multiple hours a day on the internet and probably a billion people who are spending most of their waking lives on the internet. So if you think about those two axes, like the just the number of people in the world, and so the percentage or amount yeah. of people in the world, and then the percentage of time they're spending, right. that goes from a little box over here, like less than 0.1%, less than 0.1%, up to something like 50% of the world spending 50% of their time on the internet, yeah. right? And I think if you think about that, here's one comparable metric. Just as we put all of our time on the internet, I think we're going to be putting all of our money on chain. Yeah, and, and, right? our, and, and our economic value exchange. Yeah, exactly. The ways in which we trade our value, uh, uh, so to speak, as That's humans, right. as entities, that will just become mediated by that. That's right. That's right. And I, I think the, the graph would be on the x-axis is the number of people in the world or the percentage of the world, and the y-axis is the percentage of net worth. Mm-hmm. on-chain, right? Yeah. And so in 2009, per, perhaps only Satoshi had, actually even Satoshi didn't because Bitcoin yeah. was worth less than a dollar or whatever, didn't right. have a value. Um, let's say 0% of the world had 0% of their assets on-chain. Five years later, less than 0.1% of the world had some percent of their assets on-chain. 10, 15 years later, you know, by 2022, I don't know, it might be, uh, so of the 300 million people, that's about 5% of the world, right? Maybe 1% of the world has 10% of their assets on chain or whatever yeah. the number is, 5%. I don't know the exact yeah. number, right? And so that's a little bit more of like a, a rectangle than a square. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a small demographic that has a large fraction of their assets on chain, and then it kind of drops off like this. Yeah. And I think as we go three years, five years, et cetera, out, right. I don't know. It's a very ballpark. Long tail. Long tail. That's right. And by, I don't know, 2030, but certainly by, by 2040, I would expect it's similar to where we are now, where yeah. 50% of the world has... 50% of their yeah. assets on chain. Yeah. Right? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think that's exactly right. I, uh, you know, it's it, one of the things that was attractive about getting into this space 
like now 10 years ago, uh, was that you, know, you could sort of see the, the, the way in which like the web played out and the, the kind of the arc of that kind of adoption curve and what it meant right. and all that. And you could kind of see the exact same thing yes. happening in value exchange. And what was interesting to me was like, okay, that's like a 10, 20, 30 year thing. And that's actually kind of exciting to yes. like be involved in, in something that's got that long that's arc. got that kind of long arc and, yep. and realizing that you know you probably hit milestones like you were just saying like like we're at like nation state uh, awareness and adoption is like the trickle right. of that like to 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 say wow we're gonna this is gonna be something that basically is going to force re- kind of reconstitution of even political and economic systems yes. at a very fundamental level. It's yep. like, well, I want to work on that. Absolutely. Like, that's like really worth working on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to come back to your question, which is, so if this is like, just like today we're at about 50% of the world spending on the order of 10 to 50% of their time yeah. online, how do we get to 50% of the world spending on the order of 10 to 50% of their time on chain? What are the specific yeah. things, right? Okay. So first is, um, you know, with USDC, which yeah. I think we you know, yes. did quite a lot of stuff. Just a reminder for the world, yeah. Biology uh, was a huge part of the launch of USDC, collaborated super closely with Circle and uh, when he was CTO at Coinbase. And I'm super grateful for that collaboration uh, yes. and, uh, and where it is today. It's pretty amazing. I it's had Brian awesome. Armstrong on uh, the show later today. Great. Uh, kind of we're, we're both super excited about where USDC is. It's been an amazing collaboration. Yeah. And uh, it's really great to see it. I mean, I don't know what the exact ratio is, but it's 1,000x or 10,000x yeah. larger than it was then. I don't know the exact ratio, but it's in the, on that order, right? Very much. So, so the thing about that is, here's how I think about it. We now have, so first we have Bitcoin, and you have a single point-to-point payment on-chain, right? Then you have Ethereum, and now you can do not just a single A to B payment. You can do A pays B, and then B t- gives it back A tokens. Yeah, programmable right? money. Exactly. Or a a programmable pay- value. Programmable value, right? Or you have A pays B, and then B pays A back in a loan over time. Yeah. So you start to have more complicated payments. And then we have, have stable coins. Okay, so what comes after that? So you have payments, you have basic contracts, you have payment structures. Um, so now, one direction you can take this is uh, you start going to thinking of full entities on chain, totally. right? Like Aragon and other things, yeah. and and you know the Wyoming Dow Law, totally. right? So you can form a company just like you can yeah. set up a, you know, you can do instantiate new, you know, like just like in JavaScript, create a new object, yeah. right? Okay, so you, you form a you form a company on chain, and now that company has financial statements on chain, right? Yeah. So because perfectly auditable, exactly transparent. Uh, real time. Exactly. Know? That's yeah, right. Yeah. And so now you can get inherently global. Inherently global. That's right. And uh, and potentially dominated in USDC if if you want to do like US dollar based, right? And uh, so I now mean, you, every org will have like a kind of treasury management strategy, and like people generally entities are like kind of conservative over here, and they're not man, their mandates not like go speculate on all this, but they might need derivatives because yes. they're interacting across different tokens and other things to hedge risk. And so they're going to have whatever they have. That's right. Strategy. Yeah. And, and all the stuff, you know, the various differences between GAP and IFRS are counting and sure. so on. You can actually, like the LIFO and FIFO stuff, you can put those into rules yeah. where yeah. you slurp up the on-chain stream yeah. of raw payments data, effectively right. your general ledger with yeah. some annotations, yeah. and you turn that into... Uh, cash flow and income statement and balance right. sheet, and you have real time financial statements. Right. And uh, and first of all, that's really awesome. Yeah. Now, what does that facilitate? That means you've got a transparent investor environment on chain, yeah, right? Totally. And then over time, those companies 
And those financial statements, now you can go one more level and you can have companies doing an M&A and you totally. can have the investments, yeah. right? That's how you get the global crypto economy. Yeah. And I think so that's one vision for how, you know, today we think of like the U.S. as a single largest integrated market and China as the second largest. Right. But I think this is a vision for the by, internet. The internet, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that brings in India and Brazil and yeah. you know the Middle East with the Midwest, right? Yeah. Like it bridges yeah. essentially the free world as the free internet, where now people can not just do... We take for granted that somebody in Brazil can collaborate with somebody in India and yeah. in... You know, in the world of information and communications, we've kind of accepted yes. there's no such thing as a border. That's I right. Mean, basically, right? Other than some extreme kind of scenarios, right? That's right. Uh, and and, so, and we haven't yet accepted the fact that there's basically no such thing as a border in economic activity. But like people into crypto have accepted that. That's right. <laughs> Basically, it's just the rest of the world's catching up. That's right. And so I think what, what that means is we, if we think about the cryptocurrency fiat currency exchange and how wildly important, lucrative, difficult that was, perhaps disproportionate to most people's expectations, yeah. even in the early 2000s, like, you know, to some extent, Satoshi, uh, to my knowledge at least, didn't write about the exchange rate or things like right. that. And people thought you could bootstrap like a pure crypto economy. Yeah. It turns out that even if, you know, from a historian's lens, right, you might look at the rise of Bitcoin as almost a step function, mm -hmm. you know, like it was like flat and then went totally vertical. Yeah. In practice, as we know, it was a continuous thing. Yeah. It was an, yeah, yeah. well, kind exactly. Of, it was, up and to the right. That's right. And with a lot of, a lot of, you know, <laughs> ups and downs in the yeah. middle, right? So it didn't look like this straight, like, yeah. you know, ascent. And, uh, except so, for the people with the log charts. Except for, exactly, except for the log <laughs> charts. That's right, that's right. So, um, and I still have faith in that log chart. So let's see, log chart, okay? But, um, so by kind of reference to that, the bridge between the crypto world and the fiat world is the kind of thing that a pragmatist knows is important, yeah. but somebody who's totally centralized or totally decentralized wouldn't think is important, right? right? Okay, so by analogy to that, if the cryptocurrency fiat currency exchange bridge was so important, I think the crypto identity fiat identity yes. bridge, so digital passports after digital currency, totally. right? Totally. I think um, crypto company fiat company, yeah. sort of like the Wyoming Dow law, where right. you're taking the off-chain, yeah. you know. This, I have this like philosophy. I mean, like as you know, like circle, We've always sort of had this kind of view of like we're building like these hybrid models, right? Yes. And so USDC itself is a hybrid model, exactly. Um, and and so identity, you're going to need hybrid models, and then like real world entity or a legal entity and an on chain entity, hybrid models. Like and so we're, there's a period of time, I mean, where you know it's going to be like innovative companies, innovative jurisdictions, innovative, you know, other things that are going to allow those kind of hybrid models to exist. That's right. And then eventually it kind of all blurs, kind of like the, the tipping point in, in, in living digital in 2022 versus, you know, where you were in 2000. That's, that's right. And actually, UCC is one of those hybrid models where you've got the fiat dollar and the crypto dollar, yeah. and there's that interface. And, you know, I remember when, you know, like stablecoins first came out, people were like, okay, I could send dollars but on the blockchain. Haha, ha, what's the yeah, point of that? Right. And if you recall, in the early 2000s, people were like, oh, great, I can edit a document, but online, did you hear about Microsoft Word? Yeah. Can we do it offline? And, yeah. you know, obviously the, yeah. the Windows toolkit was actually sure. better at that time, right? right? The, yeah, yeah. And, the, and inherent they didn't skepticism get, of, of that. Inherent skepticism, that's right. And what they didn't get was that putting it online got you all the stuff we now take yeah. for granted, like synchronization and, you know, a single copy rather than attachments, all that stuff, yes. right? And so putting something on chain, it gets you the stuff yeah. we were talking about. It gets you transparency, it gets you a single copy, the accounting statements are right Programmability, there. Programmability, yeah, interoperability. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it's funny, I remember I remember um, 
you know, one thing that you and I are both aware of that maybe the world isn't aware. Like when when uh, you have a big four and they're doing audits or, or something like that, the the big four they will actually use the Bitcoin Ethereum blockchains as the gold standard of truth because right. they have triple entry accounting. Right. This is totally different from the model of oh my god, Bitcoin yeah. Ethereum. You know, oh that's like. You know, it's it's scams or actually it's a gold standard of truth, right? right? right. So you actually have a gold standard of truth for international right. accounting in right. a way that's never been there before, right? Right. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, that boost investor confidence, yeah, all this stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah. I want I want to I want to pull a couple threads because yeah, like they you've touched on things that I wanted to talk about. We'll go please. deeper on. Yeah. So I think like um, so so I I think um one is is sort of um this idea of um uh, effectively like on chain. Like debt capital markets, and you know, when, when I think about growth in stablecoins in yep. particular, right? A lot of people oftentimes will think, well, stablecoins are going to come in and they're going to disrupt payments, um, and and I think that's probably true. And over the long run, right? Like, kind of payment utility will be commoditized, like data transmission was commoditized on the internet. And so you, you do have that, but that the the real breakthrough is sort of what I kind of call time value of money applications, where you know, basically, you know, money in motion um, and money at rest. And if you have money at rest, which a lot of people do, and that money at rest could be like, literally, I have money at rest right now that's in a demand deposit account. It might be a healthy amount of money, but like the banking system has a way of kind of, you know, kind of leveraging that and then, you know, kind of doing money multiplication through, through, through lending. But if you have a full reserve asset, like a dollar, a digital dollar in the form of like a stable coin, um, and and you have kind of money at rest. Can you kind of can, can you actually build um, cr- credit intermediation models hmm. that are entirely sourced on chain, that are entirely delivered on chain, where the you know the effectively like the entity, the underwriting, the data, the actual the actual value itself all, all sort of happens there, and and could that lead to um, you know kind of long tail debt capital markets uh, that can actually service, um, you know, entities, households, and firms is way, way better than the, the kind of so traditional banking model. This is actually a really interesting question in terms of, I am not sure if the money multiplier would hold up in an on-chain environment where you can actually see the money being created. That is to say, I, uh, like... But there's no money creation. I, yeah. Okay, fine, fine. But basically... Um, like the typical understanding of the money multiplier is that you've got a fractional reserve and you can lend out essentially quote more than you have. Yeah. They say the mental people's one on one mental model is I give money to the bank and the bank can lend it out, right? Yeah. The one on two is actually the bank can quote create money by lending out money that it doesn't Correct. have, but based on this kind of you know money multiplier, reserve right? the, the reserve model, right? Um, the one hundred three model is well, that's bad, and actually, what you want is full reserve, and they shouldn't be able to lend out money that they don't have. And the one hundred four is well, anything is okay so long as there's some consent and transparency on it, and we see what the market will bear. And it's interesting. It's an interesting question is, I actually in in the environment where you have everything on chain, mm-hmm. I don't know if you'll be able to have a very low reserve ratio because some will try to arb that. Yeah. Right now, it's the the fact that people can't actually see it. Yeah. the flows of funds may um, 
may actually be the reason that people can do the, because when you're, you know, you don't see all the other loans the bank yeah. is doing. They're not right, on chain, right. right? The transparency of that. It's, to give a small analogy, it's kind of like, you know, with Google News, it showed the same headline being printed in a hundred different newspapers. That just wasn't transparent unless you were buying the, you know, Miami Herald and the mm-hmm. and New York Newsday and so on all at the same time and holding them up, which no one was doing until Google News started doing that, right? So I feel like, I don't know, I think the transparency is good in many ways, but it, it may constrain what people are willing What's, to pay in that environment. So, or so, well, willing to accept in terms of, you know, like loans and stuff. Go ahead. So, so I, I think my, my thought is a little different, which is, is essentially that, um, well, there's, there, this gets into privacy and, and, right. and identity, sure. too, which are all like necessary components of this. But um, I think that the, the premise that I have is that you, you don't actually have money multiplication in the form of money creation. So okay. you what Meaning but, you, you you will not or you do not you, you currently do not you, well you will not okay okay and, right and in, in, in with stable coins today you do not correct like by def- that's right because right. I mean, it's a one for are, one there are, there that's are right some like pr- things that try to do that but like th- those yeah you know, USDC doesn't have that because right. it's a one for one right fiat dollar to crypto yeah, dollar yeah, no, yeah. nothing you, you essentially yeah. have U- U.S. Treasuries and sort of you know soon like you know cash at the Fed right? that's right so it's that's right it's like it's a straight government debt obligation kind of dollar right. And, but, but then, um, you know, let, let's say someone has a working capital need. And so your typical model, like the bank creates money and, um, and says, hey, I've, I've got this much here in, this, in, in a form of demand deposits, and I'm kind of comfortable with the risk profile of liquidity needs. And so I'm going to create these additional deposits, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, this model is a little different. Um, it would effectively say um, users would elect to time lock value. And so there, in, in, instead of there being actual money creation, there's just time-locked um, money. And you could do it programmatically, right? Mm-hmm. You could have that all be kind of v- very much handled kind of programmatically. And users could, you know, just like you have f- like flash loans as an example of this today, where someone's kind of created a pattern on chain where basically it's like capital utilization for seconds or minutes or whatever, is actually an early indicator of a model of kind of Lending. New capital markets, new, new, yeah. new capital markets right. that, that can exist there, and so if you know, if you know, entities. Let's just call, say I'm a corporation, or I'm a startup, or I'm you know, I, I want to like build a new you know uh, solar plant or whatever it is. Um, if they could tap um, capital markets, uh, and it would be helpful if more and more of their own treasury operations, etc., was on chain, so that the, you know you could mm-hmm. have automated underwriting and you could have risk scoring, you could have other things. But where the the it, it is essentially like classic savings investment as opposed to kind of money creation by banks, right? right? right. And the, the the premise is that like I, I think if you did that, you could end up with a, a world where you have a, a safer foundation, like at the core. Yep. Uh, but where you actually have just dramatically more uh, uh, efficient and accessible markets for capital. So it's interesting. So I have thought about this, and I do think here's one thesis on the world, which is uh, I, I don't quite call it at variance, but just kind of maybe stressing different aspects, right? Which is, um, you know, I think overall what we will probably what we may see. Let's call this a scenario. Let me put it yeah. a scenario, right? We may see is a world which is. Uh, much more shifted to equity versus debt mm-hmm. at, in terms. So uh, the you know the difference like 
primary and secondary investment, right? And of course, also debt for equity. It's much more shifted towards equity and maybe even much more shifted towards primary investment for equity rather than secondary sales mm-hmm. of equity, where the money is going directly into the company to go yeah. buy profitable you know, machinery or goods yeah. or whatever versus secondary sales, right? And the thinking is, why, why, would, why would we see that? Well, if in the on-chain environment, you can see everybody's reserves because you've got proof of solvency all the way down. And we know that people prize, for example, the fact that USDC has like a one-to-one ratio and things like that, right? Um, then uh, people will kind of want the audit to show, okay, there's maybe zero fractional reserve stuff yeah. happening. Yeah. And uh, instead, what it is is, if I'm taking out a loan, it's actually a power user tool. That is to say, in general, you know, for example, with with companies, we typically advise them, you know, take venture capital, maybe, but be very cautious about venture debt mm-hmm. because, you know, unless you have right. very steady cash flow streams, you can, you can get wiped out, yeah. right? Venture debt can kill you because they want a stream of cash today, yeah. whereas, um, you know, with venture capital, they're willing to tolerate the uncertainty as to when you yeah. make money, right? So debt is still necessary because you need to know whether something's at a 3% or 4% rate or what have yeah. you. You need to you know, compare various investments yeah. against there. But I do believe that most people are probably in more debt overall yeah. sidely than we need to be. And we're probably doing less equity than yeah. we need, right? Because yeah. equity, you can kind of build yeah, value, with, with right? With tokenization of, of cap tables or of yes. whatever form, org form you have, DAOs is like the purest form or That's whatever, right. like a token-based entity. That's right. That gives you a pure form to underwrite and so, so on. And But like the bridge, the hybrid scenario also could work. Hybrid right? scenario also yeah. works. That's right. And so, so that is the direction which... Uh, I couldn't consider Syria. I think it's it's pro- perhaps more beneficial where people can um, tokenize themselves, for example, and they can yep. sell quote a piece of their own equity. This is like the Hernando de Soto model, where mm-hmm. people you know who are in countries that don't have great property rights suddenly have great yep. property rights because we can teleport rule of law as a service yep. anywhere, yep. right? So that's like you know now you can represent that in- thing on chain, and uh, of course you're going to need some enforcer of that offline. That and- whole problem. That non-trivial problem. <laughs> however, however, I do think that for a fair number of things, smart locks will get you there, mm-hmm. right? So ENS, you know, there's a demo on this, but you know, you can open smart locks with, you know, for doors or cars mm-hmm. or things, and that can be gated on chain, and that's relatively difficult to hotwire offline. So that gets you houses, that gets you cars, a lot of property, a lot of property, right? So now you can actually think of crypto. Extending. That is really cool. I have yeah. not thought about that. Okay, so very cool. Very important piece of the yeah. puzzle, right? Because that doesn't get you everything, yeah. but it gets you. It pushes it one step further, yeah. right? And uh, then with you know potentially augmented reality, depending on how well those glasses work, you know Apple is talking about this, Meta is talking about this. Mm-hmm. Those could also be lenses or filters that disappear or appear because they're gated on chain, right? Mm-hmm. So various kinds of information might only be accessible as overlays, you know, if you have the keys on them, right? So I think you know we might need some creativity. Um, but I think smart locks get you a big unlock of a mm-hmm. lot of things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in theory, you might be able to smash the glass and still live in a house or something mm-hmm. like that. But in practice, um, you're not going to be able to easily start a Tesla mm-hmm. that is being Ethereum locked, you know, because that's like some solid state electronics. Where right. are you going to find that in the car? How are you going to boost that, right? So, um, all right. So that means that you have like, you know, new forms of equity, right? Mm-hmm. From personal tokens to other things. You have also deeper capital markets because you've got this totally. international pool, yeah. right? And, th- and th- those capital markets can be 
can, can be equity-like and debt-like, and 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 pe- people Everything. can 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 mix and match as appropriate to the nature of kind of where they are in their exactly. life cycle. Yeah. Exactly, and yeah. just like now, we think of information as like a stream of bytes that's on tap. Yeah. You know, the internet is there; you can just stream bytes to look yeah. at your computer. The money will flow under some terms from some yeah. provider as this incredibly powerful abstraction of millions of people, right? Yeah. Part of this, this is this concept I call the DeFi matrix. Did we talk about that before? No, okay. it sounds cool. It's cool. Okay, so, so the DeFi matrix, I think of as to this decade, perhaps in part with the social graph was the last one. Right. And the, the idea is that we don't, right now we had, you know, so we used to have just Forex, right? Yeah. Like USD right. versus JPY and so on, right? That, right. that matrix of, right? Then we added in cryptocurrencies. And then you can actually, though, think of this giant table of every asset versus every asset. So fiat currencies, cryptocurrencies, stocks, bonds, et cetera, NFTs, ENS, et cetera, gigantic table like this. And everything with automated market makers gets a quote from everything else in real time, right? And that market may be very thin, but some algorithm will take it from you at some price. And so what that means, actually, which is interesting, is potentially it reduces the need for cash. Why? Because... Uh, it's a, it's a separate kind of uh, way of thinking about it, but if any asset you have, it makes, can be in a sense it makes barter markets uh, efficient. That's uh, right. Uh, in, in, in a way, because everything at the end can price against everything else. That's exactly uh, right. So, like you couldn't do that before. That's right. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is um, just like with the Google News thing from before. Suddenly, every once Google News indexed every newspaper for the first time, their geographical advantage was undermined. Right, mm-hmm. and so now you have the Kansas City Star versus the Miami Herald versus this. And so now, basically just reprinting the same Reuters article wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And they all had to compete with each other on like unique content. And many of them didn't make it. And the national papers became international papers and so on. And I think similarly, what's going to happen with the DeFi matrix is every fiat currency Mm -hmm. is put into competition with every other fiat currency, right? And so some of them, like well-managed currencies, like maybe the Swiss franc or, you know, the, the dollar potentially, or yeah, depending on synthetic stables. At yeah. Some level, right? I, I would argue, you know, but we could discuss the dollars yeah, management, yeah, yeah. but at least the dollars popularity is still yeah, there, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe synthetics, maybe the, the Singapore dollar, some currencies with uh, a reputation, either popularity or reputation for sobriety, right. those will go worldwide, right? Yeah. The, you know, the concept of like dollarization, totally, right? Yeah, In Latin America, right? So, so, okay. Right. You're very familiar. Of course you're familiar. Um, you've been dollarizing the world. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, but um, for the viewers, dollarization is when like a, uh, a, a country, often in Latin America, uh, sometimes Africa, will try to stabilize its currency by pegging it to the dollar, one for one. So it's got this external thing, right? Or where just the human, the population just decides to do it. Um, yes, before the government even exactly. Gets to it, yeah, exactly. So you know, government's printing too much money, and then they'll say, okay, the dollar is this kind of stable thing for yeah. us. Okay, so uh, that concept basically means now countries, for the first time, they don't have a de facto ge- geography lock they are competing on features. And we're starting to see this, like in Sweden, their you know, central bank digital currency will, um, they're, they're thinking about adding privacy to it, right? right? And for others, maybe, okay, their currency you know, allows you to do contracts in Switzerland yeah. or something like that, yeah. right? And so that's a new thing where they're not Seems competing. Like they've got to compete more on, um, on, on, on policy than on also, technology in the sense of like, like I think what's happening with stablecoins from a policy perspective it varies from yes. place to place. But in some ways, like in the US where we're going to see a bill that gets passed, it is in effect saying digital dollars, like the innovation around digital dollars should happen in the private sector on the open internet using kind of this kind of new infrastructure mm-hmm. layer. 
And we want to see a lot of people compete in that. And I think it's sort of a, a, an acknowledgement that the, the form factor and the features and other things are, are going to kind of get driven by, um, you know, innovators, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I think and, right. and, and so you want a policy environment where people can issue, you know, you know, dollar digital currencies that have unique privacy characteristics or that have, you know, other other things. And so as opposed to the government doing it itself. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. And I think I think you, we might end up seeing three spheres, right? Yeah. So there's the Chinese sphere, which is the digital yuan, CBDC, right? There is the U.S. establishment sphere, which is um, different entities that are making U.S. dollar pegged stable coins yeah. that effectively get you know, de facto new banking licenses. Yeah. The reason is with a stablecoin, you can reinvent many of the features, totally. traditional features of banking. You can basically build like a Wells Fargo or, you know, a JPMC interface for the most part on top of the stablecoin. And then you might get a third group, which is um, things that are not dollar pegged, yeah. but that are things like Frax, for example, which are, you know, the... Um, yeah. Like a like a global stablecoin or what have you, right. right? And we'll see how those different kinds of things play out. Um, and you know, those are those are complementary. The uh, there's another part I wanted to talk about, um, which is with that DeFi matrix, um, you you have something interesting, which is most people don't really actually think about what a CBDC means. And what a CBDC actually means is um, the central bank now is giving is kind of distributing banks. Right in its in its purest retail form. In its purest form. In its yeah. purest form, what it means is right now, because um, most people don't have a good mental model of what CBC is and why is it different. Don't we actually already have digital right. banking or whatever? Right. Right. And the way I I've thought about it is, um, or tried to explain it is, okay, we understand the um, like a physical dollar bill. You can feed it into an ATM, and I can also hand it to you, and that's valuable. And it's, so it's fully peer to peer over here. And I can feed into an ATM, and then you can pull it out of an ATM, right? So I can feed into ATM, send it to you. Okay. The thing that we can't do though is after you feed into an ATM and you sort of upload it to the cloud, mm -hmm. right? When in its digital form, I can send it from you know let's say JPMC to Chase or whatever your bank account is, right? Um, but what you cannot do is you cannot do the equivalent of pulling out from your ATM on your computer. Yeah. Right. You can't download a local. Unless you phone. use USDC. Unless you use USDC. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So USDC, or you know, now you actually have a private key local on your computer. Yeah. So now you have a digital representation that's on your computer, and that is a. Uh, and it's fully reserved instead of fractionally reserved. That's that's right. So so essentially, you go from a physical currency, and then you've got two branches. You have the uh, national quasi digital currency, yeah. which is. You, JPMC to Chase. And then we have the digital quasi-national currency, which is USDC. Mm -hmm. And the reason is USDC is it's getting more and more like sovereign recognition, but it's not like directly there, whereas JPMC and Chase are like we'll right get there. there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Right. And so I think where, where that merges is the national digital currency, mm -hmm. which has the full sovereign recognition of like a JPMC and the full aspect of being able to hold the private keys locally on the computer yeah. of a USDC. Yeah. And is that aspect of being able to hold the private keys locally yeah. on the computer where people don't understand that CBDCs actually mean that you can hold dollars, right. you can withdraw dollars, you can download dollars yeah, to your computer. Essentially, the, the, the conveyance of bearer asset features. Exactly. Uh, digital bearer asset features. Digital yeah. bearer yeah. asset. Yeah. The best analogy is just like you can download a PDF 
to your, you could download right. a PDF of a bank statement to your computer, right. but currently you cannot download the dollars from yeah. JPMC yeah. to your computer, yeah. and that is a new thing. So right? I, I, I think we'll, 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 I mean, look, what I'm seeing from a policy perspective, if you look at the stablecoin, Payment Stablecoin Act that's working its way through Congress is, I think we'll get there next year. Like, we're, 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 yeah. we're, we'll have, have some, some version of that, and there'll be competition um, in, 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 in that as well. Um, so, so many more things uh, to, to talk, to, yes, to, yeah, to talk sure. about and, and threads pull on. Um, I want to ask one last thing, sure. which is a huge can of worms, so we'll, we'll kind of keep, keep it uh, tight, which is um, a huge barrier to scaling a lot of this is that, you know, kind of representation of identity. Yep. And, you know, so many of these use cases, whether it's an entity that is an individual, an entity that is a firm or or what whatever mm-hmm. it is, like it's very clear like if you have like cryptographic repre- representations of identity that can then be proven and and used and exchanged, like that's like a huge improvement. And so that's like that's like right in front of us. Yes, right? absolutely. I think the 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 harder question has been like like it's it's just it's one of those like chicken and egg issues. Like, what is it going to take? Um, we've got a bunch of stuff we're working on in this, and we're promoting trying to promote standards like Verity and stuff. But like, um, what do you think the most concrete thing is that that's possible just just in the next couple of years mm-hmm. to you know, make real-world entities and ultimately governments to some degree as well, like kind of comfortable with on-chain identities that then then can allow more and more of these kind of economic interactions to happen. Yeah, so I'm a big believer in standardization following adoption. You know, sometimes you can do the standard first and then use that to drive adoption, but usually it's easier to kind of codify what already exists kind Mm -hmm. of in a bottom-up way, right? There's exceptions. But... um, the uh, the way I'm 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 thinking about this is you know a sovereign issues two things right at least a currency and a passport mm-hmm. and obviously we're used to now currencies that are non sovereign issued right we talk about mm-hmm. fiat currencies and digital currencies or cryptocurrencies yeah. and I think this decade will show uh, fiat identities and crypto identities or mm-hmm. fiat passports and crypto passports mm-hmm. and um, why is that well first is obviously. Remote is a huge thing now. I mean, it's always been huge, but it took a yeah. huge dog leg yeah. up, right? Um, and the interaction of crypto and digital nomad and remote yeah. and VR and so on will mean that we need to actually think about programmatic identity. Yeah. More people are going to have more complicated identities yeah. than before, yeah. right? Yeah. You're living in location X. You're a citizen of Y. Right. You're talking to a friend right. in Z. Right. You're doing business. So the crypto with passport right? layer is going to be the kind of where a lot of the innovation the is route, happening. Yes, and stuff. that's yeah. right. And just like digital currency, it subsumed not just digital gold, but stocks, bonds, digital yeah. dollars, all these, anything right. that you can do debit and credit, I do think that in the fullness of time, the you know uh, digital passport or crypto passport, that subsumes um, your Google login and Facebook login, mm-hmm. uh, your ENS, your private keys, your API keys, mm-hmm. also your key card to your house, sure. right, or your apartment or your yeah. office. Yeah, you're gonna have identity custodians as well because most people are terrified to like lose yeah, their keys. Yeah, exactly, so, yeah. that's right. And you have, you know, the keys, the, the you know, identifier to your smart lock and so on and so forth. So all of those things that are presentation of credentials and eventually your password itself. I mean, one interesting way of thinking about this, by the way, is a, is a thought experiment. If you're in New York and you're looking at all the buildings, right? 
in a sense, the U.S. passport actually only gets you access to the surface streets mm -hmm. and the shops are in the surface streets because to gain access to one of those windows that you're looking at, you need to have a key card to that hotel in that specific room mm -hmm. or you need to have a lease on the office sure. in that specific building. Yeah. So actually, if you had augmented reality glasses, most of New York, probably by percentage, maybe 80%, mm -hmm. 90% is red. Uh, if you, unless you've paid for a second private passport, yeah. meaning the key card to that right. hotel room, right? right? On top of the first public passport, which is the public space, right? Once you kind of think of that, you're like, actually, wow, most of a city mm -hmm. is actually digitally gated private space, mm -hmm. and only a small subset of it is publicly accessible space with your kind of public passport, right? Yeah. Once you think about that, you're like, okay, well, digitally gated private space, that is a lot of what's online. Mm -hmm. And so that also means just like, much of an economy can be with cryptocurrency, much of a society can be with a yeah. crypto passport. Yeah. This is the kind of thing I think a lot about. Yeah, I love that. Cool. I love that. This is awesome. Great. Thank you for, uh, for coming on. Yeah, this is great. Absolutely.